I think this survey is a really good example of us wanting to design highly actionable survey measures that can be used immediately in advocacy efforts, in care services, and even to inform uh, research practices. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. According to the American Telemedicine Association, 43% of consumers used telehealth in 2020, with 82% of those rating it as equal to or better than the in-person experiences. That adds up to over 2 million virtual visits from March 2019 at the beginning of the COVID pandemic to the beginning of 2021. And while quarantine restrictions began to loosen during the past year, expanded access to telehealth remained in place throughout the year. And although some states have begun to erect barriers to using telehealth to access doctors across state lines, certainly everyone we've talked to on this program thinks that telehealth is here to stay as part of the healthcare system. To dig into the experiences of people with ALS and their caregivers, we turned to ALS Focus to dig into the issue and the results are in. And so joining me this week to help set up that discussion is Larry Falavina, a member of the ALS Association's Board of Trustees and a member of the ALS Focus Patient and Caregiver Advisory Committee. Larry, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we've had you on before as an expert, and you've now been promoted to guest co-host. So soon you'll be taking my job, uh, but always happy to have you You're on the really show. You're really reaching now, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll find a way to stay useful. But, uh, you know, Larry, we've talked on the show uh, throughout the last year or so about the ways that telehealth has been able to make sure the community that we serve was able to access care safely during the pandemic and ways that telemedicine has allowed clinics to reach patients who maybe live far away from the nearest multidisciplinary care center. With Focus, Larry, we're able to start to learn about the actual experiences of the community. Yeah, that's what's so important about ALS Focus. It's the ability to hear directly from patients and caregivers, right? I mean, we're the ones who are living with the disease and who can best communicate our needs. So it's that real life feedback that helps the association and really anyone who serves the ALS population, since this data is open to the entire community, it helps all of us determine where to put our efforts and where to make where we can make the biggest impact. In other words, know what the needs are and then we can design the programs and services to meet those needs. Exactly. Now, a little bit later, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Sarah Parvanta, the head of the ALS Focus program. We turned to her on the show because she's the expert. Me, I know barely enough about survey research to be considered dangerous, but I have read that getting folks to participate in surveys across the industry has been a challenge. And that's something I know you all are engaged in actively to figure out how to boost those participation rates. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in surveys either, but I think the important thing for people to remember is that these surveys are not just an academic exercise, right? This is actionable data that can be used when we're addressing the government, researchers, insurance payers, Medicare, whomever. You know, uh, this is data about what our community needs and why those requests are justified. You know, we know that the experiences of people living with ALS vary greatly, right? The needs are different depending on which stage of the disease you're in, 
And even the effects of the disease itself can be very different from person to person. This is why we need as much participation in the surveys as possible. We need to get data from as many varied experiences as possible because this disease, again, has so many variables to it and, and different experiences and outcomes. You know, we also know that ALS doesn't care whether you're male or female, how old you are, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic background. The disease just wants to kill you regardless of who you are. So we need as much diversity as possible from within the patient population when we're gathering this data so that we make sure all the groups are represented. And, you know, I definitely realize that when you're living with this disease, there's a long list of things that you need to do or would rather be doing than sitting in front of a computer answering a survey. But, you know, I want people to realize that the time that they're spending in this really does make a difference. And it's going to benefit not only yourself, but every other person who's fighting this disease. A variety of perspectives needed and, and a variety of topics that have been covered so far. I know, Larry, that this is the fourth round of survey results that we're talking about today. And folks still have time to participate in the current survey, which is focused on mobility challenges. Uh, that survey window closes on December 20th, so still time to log in and be a part of that. We can share a link to the, in the show notes for folks who want to participate. But as we begin to turn our attention to 2022, which I can't believe we're already talking about 2022, but I have to imagine that the team is already discussing the future of ALS Focus and, and where it goes from here. Definitely. Uh, one of the things about ALS Focus is that it works with a group called the PCAC, right? Which is a, an acronym for Patient and Caregiver Advisory Committee, which you, you already mentioned. But really, uh, ALS Focus is built with guidance from that group, not only on which areas need to be included in the surveys, in other words, focusing on the issues that are really important to the ALS community, but also we provide direct input on the questions in the survey as well. So we're, we're really trying to make these surveys as relevant as possible and the questions as relevant as possible and, you know, design them in a way that doesn't take up too much time, but gets us the data that is desperately needed. Yeah, and I know in, in conversations with Sarah that there's some discussion about ways to make the process even more streamlined, more approachable to folks, so we can again start increasing participation even more. Larry, thanks so much for your time today and uh, agreeing to be our guest co-host. Hopefully we can have you back soon uh, in, in your new role as guest co-host. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks. Well, as I mentioned, I did have an opportunity to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the results of the ALS-focused telehealth survey with Dr. Sarah Pavanta, director of ALS Focus. Let's hear from her now. Well, Dr. Parvanta, thanks so much for being with us this week. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to be back. Yeah, a returning champion. Uh, Sarah's always been really gracious with her time, and you know we try to not take too much advantage of that. But you know, Sarah, it's, it's a great opportunity to talk about focus. We have some results from the, uh, I believe this is the fourth batch of results. This was the uh, survey into telehealth, something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show, particularly with COVID and some of the expanded access that was made available. So taking a step back, what did we learn about the ALS community's experience with telehealth from the most recent data from the focus survey? Thanks, Jeremy. I'm so glad to be able to talk about the results from this survey. 
it came out of all of the conversations about telehealth during the pandemic and how important we thought telehealth would be to this community, people living with ALS, everyone needing to stay home and people with ALS, especially needing to take care of their health and make sure that uh, they were receiving the care that they still needed, even though it was a global pandemic. So we had a number of questions in this survey. And I think some of the most interesting results jumped out at me around just how many people with ALS were using telehealth during this time. We found that about 78% of our respondents said they use telehealth since the pandemic began. And on top of that, a quarter of those people, 25% of those respondents were able to use telehealth across state lines. So out of state from where they live. That's quite a few people taking advantage of this tool and this resource during a really important time. We had other results too. That's the beauty of these surveys. So we asked people with ALS and their caregivers about time that they saved and even some costs that they might have saved. And we did find that they said they saved a lot of time using telehealth, which might seem more obvious, but even on top of that, they thought that they saved some costs as well. Very important for somebody dealing with ALS to be able to save costs wherever possible. This community also highly value in-person appointments sure. with their healthcare providers. That's going to be really important. I'm preaching to the choir here, but for in-person care, tests and treatments, being able to do those in person is important, but telehealth can be a useful tool as well. And even though in-person care is highly valued, we did see that many people with ALS think telehealth also works well for being able to explain their concerns to their doctors and understand their doctor's guidance. So there are ways in which telehealth can be really useful when in-person care maybe isn't immediately available. And Sarah, that's something that we've talked about throughout the pandemic as we've had this real life experiment of using telehealth that it may not always be the perfect substitute for in-person care, but it can bridge the gap. It can allow people, as you said, uh, if they're far away, even across state lines, but that's where their provider is, they can have that access for people who maybe have some mobility challenges and that trip to the clinic is a bit onerous. This could potentially allow them to save some of that time and money that you talked about, which goes toward this idea of making ALS a livable disease, of easing some of the burdens and some of the challenges of living with ALS and allowing people to have some choices there. You mentioned uh, cost savings. Um, where did the community see those cost savings? How are we conceptualizing the idea that this, this helped save money? Yeah, I think we could probably conduct a whole survey on different kinds <laughs> sure. of cost savings. Sure. Yes, around telehealth and other sorts of um, tools and strategies that people in the community use to take care of themselves and, and get the care that they need. So we might immediately think about the bills related to a, sure. a doctor's office visit and insurance coverage and, and those sorts of pieces, which are really important. But there are other costs that are inherent to doctor's appointments that maybe we don't think of as much. And that's why we work with a patient and caregiver advisory committee to develop these questions, because they can remind us about other costs that 
can become substantial when you need to go to a lot of different kinds of healthcare appointments. And so these are the costs that we asked about in this survey. So we gave examples when thinking about money saved through telehealth, we listed examples like costs for copays that are usually part of um, an in-person appointment experience. So how much money could you save by avoiding those copay costs? Also, if you think about lost wages at work from missing time at work, either yourself as a person with ALS or a caregiver needing to miss time at work to take someone to an appointment, those lost wages can become very noticeable over many different appointments. And then you can also think about, especially for people who live far away from the clinics that they need to go to, the resources they need to allocate for transportation to get to those appointments, and also lodging might come into play if those appointments are really far away. Some people need to travel hours to get to a multidisciplinary clinic, and so they need to stay overnight. So through telehealth, if you don't need to do that traveling, then you won't need to miss as much time at work. Uh, Those travel costs are going to be reduced or eliminated, those lodging costs, and then the co-pays on top of that. And so those are the costs we wanted to ask about, and we did find that a substantial number of participants thought they saved at least some money, if not a lot of money because of telehealth. It's something that we've heard from so many people that I've had the privilege to talk to over the years about the clinic visits, which is meaningful. And so many people find value in that. And, you know, I, I think of like Sunny Browse who says she loves clinic day, you know, but there is a cost associated. As you said, that the drive to the clinic, it's an all day affair for some folks, it's an overnight affair. Um, so some of those cost savings are something that we may not think about when we think about the cost of, of healthcare, uh, really valuable data coming out of that. Dr. Parvanta, the ALS Association, as I'm sure you know, recently signed onto a joint letter calling on governors in all 50 states to allow patients to access care through telehealth across state lines, something, as you mentioned, uh, nearly a quarter of respondents said that they were able to do. So this is resonant, this this advocacy action, very resonant given the survey's findings. How does that synergy between what we learn from FOCUS and what we're trying to accomplish through advocacy, how does that speak to the goal of FOCUS to inform the services the association provides, the work being done to enrich the quality of life for people living with ALS and their caregivers? Yes, I think this survey is a really good example of us wanting to design highly actionable survey measures that can be used immediately in advocacy efforts, in care services, and even to inform uh, research practices. I think in this case, the survey itself was relevant to all of the work that was going on on the advocacy side around increasing those opportunities for telehealth and increasing access to care through that tool. So, When we were developing this telehealth survey, we worked with this advocacy team to make sure we got the right questions in this survey so that they could make a strong case for why telehealth is so important and make that case to lawmakers. What kinds of data would help to back up their arguments? So we knew what they, what questions they needed to answer and we could design survey measures around that. That's one of the most immediate goals of FOCUS is to uh, be able to take action depending on whatever results we're seeing from the surveys 
and what how that's reflecting on the community's experience and what their needs are and how can we address those needs most immediately and then also build more structures more policies moving into the future to help even more people and help those living with ALS even more so than we're doing today. It's such a valuable resource and you see how it can inform the work going forward. We now are, as I said, we are four surveys into focus. The fifth one is in the field uh, and folks can go to the show notes and find a way to participate. Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, they have until December 20th to participate in the mobility survey? Yes. Okay, well, get over there. December 20th. So get over there before December 20th. Again, the link will be in the show notes. But I'm curious what happens to the data after you've crunched it, after you've come on to Connecting ALS to share the results with listeners. How does Where does the data live from there? How does it continue to provide value to researchers and to the broader community? Yes, the surveys from ALS Focus, they don't stop with the analysis that I do alone. There's a lot more to do with the data. And we collect that data for that very reason. So I think I said earlier, this survey had about 30 questions. Today, I've probably talked about four of those questions. And each question itself, to get really nerdy and data scientist, (laughs) (laughs) like I I like to do, um, many of those questions can actually become multiple measures that can be used to answer a whole host of other kinds of uh, research priorities that might be important for other organizations or other people conducting their own ALS research. So what we do then is I I am able to talk about the high level results. We have those results described in greater detail on the ALS Association's focus webpage. So people can go there to read more about these results. And then from there, if somebody wants to dig into the data more, we actually make the data available for free. All of the data are de-identified, so no one will know who took the survey, but they will have that, all of the responses across people with ALS, current caregivers, and in many cases, past caregivers as well. And they're able to use those data to help inform the programs that they're running, the care services that they are offering. Researchers can use these data to understand quality of life and what factors contribute to or detract from quality of life for people with ALS. And that can become really important in patient-focused drug development. So I think that's all to say that we don't want the data to stop with the research that we're doing alone. We want those data to become available to other researchers, other advocates, and other care organizations so that the data can inform the work that they're doing and have an even broader impact. The data, like I said, they're available for free. A lot of data can sometimes be proprietary and come with a cost, but we started focused to make these kinds of data available and free to others. It's a really exciting time for focus. And, you know, I'll celebrate all the work that you and the team have done. I've, I've been able to see from my perch all the effort that has gone into bringing focus to where it is right now. And I'm curious, Dr. Parvanta, as we look ahead, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but 2022 is right around the corner. Um, what conversations are you having? What's on the horizon? What does the future of ALS focus look like as we start to look to turning the calendar into January? Um, There's so much that we want to do in 2022. We started Focus in 2020, and and we've already covered 
many different kinds of questions, but fortunately, we're able to work with a patient and caregiver advisory committee and our steering committee of academic experts and experts from the CDC and the FDA and pharmaceutical industry experts. Working with them, we've come up with a really long list of other survey topics that we want to cover. And so we'll be working hard to get those surveys designed, making sure the questions are really actionable, and then disseminating those surveys and and recruiting more participants and inviting our current participants back to take those surveys and continue telling us about their needs and their experiences so that we can serve the ALS community better. We have more surveys related to durable medical equipment that we want to ask about. We have surveys related to patient-focused drug development that we want to put together. So each of these uh, takes a whole host of people working really hard, and we're always trying to make the surveys and the experience of participating more enjoyable, more user-friendly. So in addition to the surveys, we are upgrading our focus survey platform. So stay tuned for that. We've listened a lot to members of the community, what would work best for them with a platform. And these are online surveys. So we want to make that experience as seamless and quick and easy as possible. So that's another element that we're putting together. And it's going to mean that The surveys are available sooner, the data are available faster, and people can do more with this research sooner. Well, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, but I have all the faith in the world that you're up to the challenge. Uh, Dr. Parvanta, thanks again so much for taking some time out of your busy day to share the results with listeners. Yes, thank you, and I hope to be back soon with more results. Well, I want to thank our guests this week, Larry Falavina and Dr. Sarah Parvanta. We will be sure to share links in the show notes to results from the Focus Survey on Telehealth and on an opportunity that folks still have to participate in the ALS Focus Survey on Mobility. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Connecting ALS. You can find Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please find time to rate and review the show. It is a great way for us to connect with even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, production management by Gabriella Montequin, supervised by David Hoffman. Thank you for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Mm-hmm.